Today on the TalentCast, we attempt to do the impossible, not just make job descriptions that don't suck, but make job descriptions that are actually epic. We'll be right back. Welcome to the TalentCast. I'm your host, James Ellis. This podcast has one simple goal, to change the conversation around recruiting, employer brand, and hiring. Simple as that. The only way we can do that is by making this a 100% no-pitch zone, meaning no one's making any money, no one's giving any money, nobody's sponsoring anything. So please come join us, come learn, come engage in this conversation, come grow our industry with me. Uh, if you want to talk to me, I'm on Twitter, at the War for Talent, or you can look at our website, thetalentcast.com. Otherwise, let's get to it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Uh, yeah, so here we go. Let's dive into it. Um, no straight, no housekeeping. Let's dive into it. So somebody sent me, um, going around is that job description for a Los Angeles graphic designer that was, looks like it was designed in MS Paint. Uh, it's got some really horrible fontage. It's got, to, it's designed to look ugly. It's designed to say, hey, look how bad we are. Look how badly we need a designer. And it's made the rounds and everybody giggles at it. And everybody thinks it's great and everybody thinks it's useful. And I, it really sparked me to say, you know what? I think it's time to really talk about job descriptions a bit. So I want to talk a couple of pieces of this. And the first is right now, why are job descriptions so bad? And the answer is complicated, and I'll skim past a bunch of it, but you have to at least be able to understand where we're coming from. When we see page after page after page after page after ream after ream after ream of horrible job description, job descriptions that barely describe what the hell the job is, that looks like it was translated in Icelandic and then into Japanese and then back into whatever its na you know, native language was um, by uh, you know a, a very angry lawyer. Um, you, you got to understand where our bad job descriptions come from. And they start by coming from the fact that legal and HR have done a good job scaring the crap out of everybody saying, hey, you got to be careful what you say in a job description. Why? Well, the answer is very simple. If you say that a job requires that you lift 50 pounds, you got to be able to lift 50 pounds. So you can say to people, yeah, I'm sorry, you can't lift 50 pounds. You're too small. Or, um, or you know, you have some sort of physical impairment that keeps you from lifting that much. And if you don't have it in the job description and someone who has a physical impairment comes up and applies for it and it would be great for the job, except for the fact they can't lift 50 pounds, you can't reject them by saying, well, they can't lift 50 pounds. Well, it's not in the job description. So really the job description is there as like all things legal and HR is all about to keep you from getting sued. Simple as that. Now, by my re reckoning, documents designed to keep you from getting sued are not what I would call epic marketing documents. This is not epic content marketing or epic marketing collateral. So we have to separate the two. There's a job description proper, i.e. the legal and HR keep us from getting sued type of things you have to say. For example, will require travel, will require you to lift 50 pounds, will require knowledge of following programs, will require um, third shift, will, will require you to have your own trans reliable transportation, will require you to speak publicly. You have to have those things. Sure, great, no one's saying not to. What I'm talking about is everything that happens before that part, and that is the marketing piece. The reason people are looking at these requirements is because they've decided I need a job and I need to look at your stuff and I need to see is this the kind of job I would be good at? And if all I see are all the legal requirements, what exactly is that job? Are you having fun? Are you serious? Are you sharks? Are you sheep? Are you uh, remotely based? Are you have a big uh, bullpen style office? Does everybody get their own office? What is the style? What is the culture? What is the space? What is the experience of working there? 
None of that is in a standard requirements-based job description. So because everybody realizes how bad job descriptions are, everybody from hiring managers and recruiters tack on a paragraph or two above the requirements that kind of say something goofy or nice about the job, which is great. That's helpful. That's moving this process along. And you know, some companies do it such that there's a paragraph or two that's boilerplate that their writing team has decided this does a good job uh, t describing our culture and describing who we are, and we use it every single time, uh, even though the sales team and the legal team are probably have radically different cultures. We're just going to plop it in there and say, the company does X. This is who our company is. This is what we do, and this is why we exist. Because remember, 18, 20 million businesses in North America, You can't. everybody doesn't know what you do, so you do have to kind of describe, hey, are you a, a warehouse? Are you a software company? Uh, what do you do? What exactly are you do? Are you all about electricians, or are you all about elect making electronics? What are you about? What is this company exist? exist for. Are you a nonprofit? Are you here to save the whales? Are you here to squeeze the trees? Are you what are you doing? What are you doing? What do you exist for? I, I've only had two cups of coffee, if you can believe it. So I'm, I realize I'm kind of running here because I have a couple points I want to hit. So I apologize if I'm running too fast. Keep up. Uh, that's what the button on this the, the your phone was made to skip back. What the hell was he just saying? Um, anyway, so they have the, they drop the, the boilerplate of what this is what the company is and maybe it's got a couple of you know if you're a fun company and I'm using air quotes quite liberally here um, you know you throw a couple of jokes in there and that's enough you know hey that's enough to describe our culture we're a wacky culture we're fun we like to have, we like to get things done great check the box done next and then maybe they write three lines as to what the job is and that's just not enough so in that case that is the world effectively we live in it is a decently written boilerplate about the company, maybe even about the team, and then some really horribly written part about this is what the job is, usually by the hiring manager or the recruiter, and sadly, usually from the position of this is what the company wants. It's very rarely this is who you are, right? Job descriptions tend to take that position of much like way back when when you would hang out a shingle saying, we are looking for a metal smithy and we are looking for a cooper to make barrels or we are looking for a seamstress or a seamstress or whatever whatever the male equivalent. I'm thinking you know, way, way, way back when when women didn't have quote-unquote jobs. Um, way back when. <laughs> so you would hang out a shingle that says this is what we require and if you have it, we would like to talk to you. And this is not the world we live in. If you say you're looking for a Java developer, you do not say, we require the following things. Because frankly, Java developer goes, uh, yeah, you sound like a horrible place to work. I'm going to find some other place that's much more interesting to work over here. What you want to do is write a job description that's more about, hey, you're the kind of person who is obsessed with this problem. Or you're the kind of person who goes along to get along. Or you're the kind of person for whom no problem, no obstacle will stand in their way to solve a Java-based kind of solution. You're the kind of person who thinks reading blogs about Java is fun. This is what you do on your vacation. This is what you do in your time off. That you make have your own podcast about Java, he says, weirdly self-referential referentially these are complicated words um that's the kind of person you want that's the kind of you know i you know coming like amazon where they're always obsessed with these we were solving these bigger problems this is who we are and this is who you are they're very good at saying look you are the kind of person who solves these problems you are the kind of person who is obsessed with these problems the red cross doesn't say you are the kind of person who is obsessed with solving problems that's not their culture that's not what they're all about they're about we're here to save lives and we're here to you know move blood from one place to the other and we're here to put medical personnel in the, in the place where they're needed the most we're here to save lives very different culture very different structure it's about who you are because you're establishing fit we know who we are and we're going to document what that boilerplate piece of 
a text we've already slapped in, but here's who you are, and here's who we think the right kind of fit should be. If this is a job where you think it should be leadership material or actual leadership versus a, versus a management role or a individual contributor role, it should be very clear this is the kind of role. When you have a job like content marketer or content manager, some people will think, oh, this is a job where I'm managing content marketers or this is a job where I'm managing the content or this is a job where I need to have leadership or this is a job where I can just put my head down and write. All those things are viable answers but are radically different answers and require radically different people. So if you're not defining what you, you know, the person you're looking for, who they really are and what they're all about and why they exist, if you don't really dive into the deep the why, your job description sucks. And thus we enter into the modern world. And, and this is a world in which a company like Textio, who again, I have made received zero money. I have used their test tool many times. I like it a lot. I think it's very helpful in doing one thing and solving one type of problem. And that is getting better job descriptions up to scale, up to snuff at scale. That is, if you've got a company, you've got 100 job descriptions, the concept of writing 100 job descriptions may sound a lot like going to the dentist three times in a row. It just may sound like, hey, let's just dive real deep. That root canal, we got to get it. We got to get it. Let's go write another job description. And that sounds horrible because 100 job descriptions is a lot. Even if you're using boilerplate language about the company or the team and the requirements are written by the hiring manager and HR business partners or what have you, it's still a lot of work and it's still painful work. It's tough work to write a job description. Why? Because you have to write why someone would want this job. You have to really dive into the, this is what you're getting out of it, and this is who we are, and trying to find that fit, and trying to establish and project upon someone, hey, this is why someone like you might find happiness and satisfaction and, and success here instead of some other place. That's a tough job. So Textio wades into this, and if you don't know Textio, and I think I've mentioned Textio before, and by the way, if you're realizing, because I think I mentioned Textio like four episodes ago, yes, I am a bit of a goldfish. I don't remember everything I've taught you, so if there is some overlap and, and I'm telling stories again, I apologize. Uh, but here we are. Textio is really good. What it did, it evaluated hundreds and hundreds of millions of job descriptions and it said, okay, based on what the ATS said, meaning they got back-end data and they said, okay, certain job descriptions sat on the shelf forever, meaning it took for a long time uh, to, a, a long time to fill that job. And part of that's geography, meaning you're looking for an electrician in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. By the way, there are no electricians out there that are available looking for a job. That job description may sit out there for a very, very long time. Um, conversely, if you're looking for a JavaScript developer in the Valley, they turn around quick just because there's lots of them. And if you've got a great brand name, somebody might just be waiting for the opportunity for that opening to happen and they can pounce on it. They look at industry, they look at geography, and they look at how long did the job last, how qualified was the candidates, the percentage of qualified candidates in the pool, how big was the pool, how many applicants applied, yada, all the data points they could pull out of an ATS about that job description, meaning they didn't just look at the job description as a piece of text that says, does this adequately describe who we are? They looked at the outcomes. How did people respond to that piece of text in the context of the brand, right? You know, I've always talked about, you know, a job description for a product manager at Google and a product or a project manager at Google and project manager at American Standard, both, you know, the biggest technological company, second or biggest technological company in the, in the world versus a company that makes toilets and ceramics. Um, they're going to be radically different job experiences, but the job description may be effectively the same. The requirements are certainly going to be the same. It's a product a project manager. Those are pretty standard job description requirements. 
So the context of the brand enters into this too. So what Textio does is it looks at all that data. What did you put out there and what did you get back at? And it looks at it in the aggregate, which is great because it means it's no longer, you've got enough data points here to really say, look, there isn't some weird outlier that says um, all jobs from X company X seem to take forever to apply. They're looking at thousands and thousands of companies to say, this is what's really happening. Meaning this is what job seekers are responding to or not responding to. Which is great because, frankly, job descriptions are incredibly subjective issues, right? I write a job description. The hiring manager looks at it and goes, I don't think – I don't like those words. That's a that's a completely subjective response. That's me saying I don't like that color blue. Well, if that's the color blue that our audience loves, who cares what I think? But that's the problem. You're going to – you don't have a focus group of 20 job seekers for that particular role who you can show your job description to and say, do you prefer the word uh, manage or lead in this job description? They're not going to respond to you. But TextView does have that kind of data. And it has a great tool where it scores it and shows you, hey, these words are jargon and you need to trim these down to be as minimal as possible because people really hate jargon. Or here are some words that are very powerful and engaging and and and, and, and positive and engaging and people seem to respond to these words and by the way in general for these types of jobs the job should be this percentage of text and this percentage of bullet points and by the way for this kind of job your sentences are really short or these sentences are really long clearly you're gluing things together and this is not how people who are looking for these kinds of jobs will respond great stuff it takes a lot of the subjectiveness out of getting a good job description. And when I say good, I mean brings the baseline up. No longer just the crap set of bullet points of requirements, no longer with the boilerplate of the company and three sentences written by the hire manager about who you have to be. It forces you to get a good score, to write more about who the person should be, who the applicant should be, and to use engaging words and to use language that's a little more interesting in many cases more emotional uh, more descriptive and less about here are the following uh, acronyms that we you should understand right and that's great except for one thing it's chasing the leader you're, you're looking at aggregate data and say in general people tend to like these things over those things which is great and if you're at the if you're trying to get up to a level of baseline in which you release and look I just need good job descriptions it's a great tool. It's a great way of approaching the problem and saying, okay, we're going to make our job descriptions good, meaning we're not going to make them, we're going to make them unsucky compared to other job descriptions. Now imagine a world two, three years from now when Textio is being used by lots of companies and suddenly everybody is trying to get a score at the, at the, at the top five percentile. Consequently, if every job is job description is written well, getting a good score isn't as important because you're within the bounds. You're saying, look, there's no more bad job descriptions out there. They're all pretty good. How do you compare? How do you compete? Well, it's a good question. So we come back to this idea of marketing a job. We come back to this because that's what a job description really is, the marketing side of it anyway, not the let's not get sued way, but in the this is what the job's all about, and this is why you should do this job. It, it, getting a job is an economical, e economic trade. You give me your time and your energy and your brains and your experience, and I give you money and benefits and occasionally vacation time and the opportunity to uh, level up, as it were, right? That's what a job is. It's a trade. And job descriptions are usually one-sided in their nature of trade. Here's what you're going to give us. You're going to give us 45 hours a week or 50 hours a week or 80 hours a week. And you're going to give us your travel time and your commitment and your 24-7 on-call nature. And you're going to give us your experience in X, Y, and Z. And very rarely do they say, and this is what we're going to give you. 
It's very rare. Even as we're having these conversations about should we show salaries on job descriptions, and by the way, I'm in favor of some bare, you know, some just some, here's the baseline. This is what we generally pay this job. I think that's more transparency in salary is absolutely the direction we're all headed, and I'm all for it. And maybe you have some boilerplate about, hey, we have a 401k, and hey, we have some medical benefits, and hey, by the way, uh, people get to take some time off. Not very descriptive. It's not very, it, again, boilerplate. If the job is a trade, if a job description is trying to explain the trade that is about to happen, you need to make sure that both parties feel like they're winning. No trade works when one party feels like it's screwed over the other party. The second that happens, boom, straight to glass door where they just ream you, right? Every trade has to feel like it. Ask any negotiator. Every trade has to feel like Everybody came out ahead somehow. That's the art of negotiation, truly. I don't care what current sitting president thinks it is in terms of his books. The art of negotiation is making everybody feel like they got what they needed or got a, the best possible outcome out of it. Both parties, all parties have to feel that way. The second somebody feels screwed is the second you just pissed off someone who you've let into your company and given passwords and given access to who can download everything you've ever done, stick it on a thumb drive, and mail it to your co competition. That's no way to run a railroad. That's no way to run a business, and you know that. So you don't piss off the people who you're trying desperately to bring in. You need to get them not just to bring their talent, but their interest in engaging that talent, meaning you have to show that you're getting something and they're getting something, and make that super crystal clear. And I think Textio does a pretty good job in forcing and putting some guide rails around some of that stuff. Again, I get no money from Textio. I hope they're enjoying this, but whatever. So, and, and <laughs> to which I also say, this is not a pitch, and I'm not expecting Textio to send me anything. I don't want anything. Please, thank you, Textio. Thank you for a cool tool that's helping people, but this is not what this is. But beyond getting the baseline higher and making the best practices more well-established so that you stop writing bad job descriptions, in the end, what you're trying to do is fill a role with someone who's amazing, specific to you. What's, and whoever is amazing to you may not be amazing to somebody else and vice versa. So then you start to think about how do you get creative in this job description? How do you get you express what is uniquely you, right? What is unique about your company? And I think that's a tough one, and that's all about brand, about trying to get into the what makes one company different from another. If you've got 18 or 20 million of them in North America, how can you say they're all different? And frankly, they're not necessarily. But that's the, that's the job of, the, of a good employer brand is to, express, to find, discover, and express and surface that difference to the world. Now, you can get more granular with job descriptions. You can say, look, what is special about this job? And that we, that's how we get back to that um, L.A. county or L.A. city uh, job description, the goofy one. Um, what it did very clearly is say, look. The kinds of people who would be great at this job are the kinds of people who are obsessed with design. And the kinds of people who are obsessed with design tend to be near physically ill in the presence of bad design. So in order to create a reaction, in order to get people to go, ah, man, I want to fix that because that's the kind of people we want to hire, let's show them the worst possible design ever, right? At the same time, showing them bad design, making a joke that, look, this is how good our design is right now, that's why we need your help, suggests that, hey, when you do that economic trade where you give your time and energy and effort and we give you money, you're getting more than just money. You're getting satisfaction. You're getting an opportunity to really make a mark. You're getting a chance to really do good work and elevate the conversation and elevate our design, right? 
That's what a good designer, a design leader should want. This is not a job for a, an entry-level layout kid who just does the job and says, you know, hey, it's clean, it's, it's fine. It's not art, it's craft, simple, done, next. That's not what that job is for. That's not what they're advertising for. They're looking for someone who aches to solve design problems, who does it in their spare time, whose side hack is probably doing design work for nonprofits or their friend's band or what have you. These are people who are obsessed with design, and that's what they're looking for. Great, good for them. What they've done is they've taken the problem and flipped it on its head and say, look, we're going to make the lack of a design sell our need for design. Great, great stuff. And that's how we need to start approaching the more job descriptions, say, look, how do we really express who we are, what we need, what you're going to get out of it? And that goes back to, I wrote a quick little blog post a month or two ago, two months ago now, gosh, time flies, about that New Zealand police department video, which, by the way, I think is the one of the best pieces of employer branding ever uh, for a lot of reasons, not specific specifically because it's great looking, but because they really thought about what do we have that's special? What do we, what can we really use? What are our constraints and how do we leverage that? Meaning, did they hire a band because they needed a band? No, they had a band. And so they figured out how to use the band. They had a, a helicopter with a camera on it. And so they said, great, we'll, we'll use that. Instead of saying, okay, we need to write a scene. This scene requires a helicopter and a camera. Great, I guess we have to go rent a camera and a helicopter. I guess that costs $50,000 or whatever a helicopter costs. They said, no, we have one. Let's just use that. And if they didn't have one, they wouldn't have used it because what they were doing was trying to document what it's like to be a police officer and why they do it. All that stuff is not necessarily found footage per se, but it's really about we used what we had. Same way in the L.A. County or L.A. City or one. They said, look, if we take this to the nth degree and saying, look, we need a designer, thus we must not have good design work. What would that look like? Oh, here's the worst design we could possibly show off. They used what they had. The best part is, I am hope <laughs> if you really look at that job description, a designer wrote that. A designer designed that. It's hilarious because it's what a designer thinks bad design should be. It's not what you and I think bad design. Because you and I, if we did design, it would look much better, but look worse somehow. That's the trick of it. Good design. If you're a good designer, you can't like turn that part of your brain off. You're literally making good design. It's, it's a gorgeous piece of work, which is, I, I think, ironic. But I think there's a level deeper. I think where job descriptions truly fall down is that they're describing bad jobs. And with that, I'm going to take a sip of coffee. Quick interruption. The goal here is to change the conversation around recruiting, hiring, and employer brand. The only way we can achieve that goal is with your help. And that is not with money, not with sponsorship. No, 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 no. It's to just simply share us and review us. Simple as that. Just review us wherever you get podcasts, share us on social media, say nice things about us or complain about us. I, that really is completely fair. Uh, that's all we really ask. That's all. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, let's get back to the show. Oh, that's good. Mm, 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 mm. That's good stuff. I really should sell coffee on this thing. Oh, so anyway, yeah, your jobs are bad. I mean, not your jobs are bad, but you don't think about your jobs as being anything more than a job, right? Take a, a product manager, someone who thinks about this is what the product should be. This is what our users are going to want to do. This is how they're going to want to use it. This is the problem they're having every single day that we can solve. There are 
hundreds of thousands of product managers on every stripe of every flavor, of every level of experience, whether they're software, whether they're hardware, whether they're event managers, or there's all sorts of different product type managers all around the country, all around the world. And so consequently, we think, well, that must just be a job. An electrician is a job. A plumber is a job. A lawyer is a job. An accountant is a job. An employer brand manager is a job, right? Meaning, what do you do for a living? This is what I do for a living, meaning this is my job. And whether you work for yourself or you work for a company, it's a job, meaning you go back to that economic exchange. I give you my time, energy, passion. You give me money in uh, some sense, hopefully, of security, meaning you, the second my paycheck cashes, you won't disappear on me, that I can count on the next one. Think about a freelancer or a home-owned business, right? a self-owned business, in which their 20, 30, 40% of their time is spent hustling for the next client. They make a great hourly because they don't work 40 to 50 hours a week billable. They make a great hourly because they have to put a lot of their time to finding the next client. Even if they do amazing work, even if they can count on those clients recommending them, they still have to go and write blog posts and do some content marketing and show up to networking events, um, spending time writing uh, applications for awards or schmoozing with local uh, press or industry press or what have you. They're always having to hustle, which means in a world where there are 18 to 20 million businesses, they have to find a way to express how what they do is different. That, I think, presents itself as an excellent opportunity to say, this is what I do. Now, for example, I know someone very, very well who all she does is help people get into the tech space, but not as developers, meaning account managers, project managers, uh, leaders and managers, uh, operations, people who want to get into a startup or want to get into a tech company, but they don't, because they don't develop and they don't code, they don't know how to kind of crack that code. Because to be fair, those companies speak a very different language. And her job is to say, oh, you worked at a credit card company or a bank or a, uh, a law firm and you did X and Y and Z. How do I help you translate that particular set of skills into the kinds of things these startups and tech companies are looking for because it's a very different vernacular. But it's not just a translation issue. She's really trying to dive into that person's background and saying, oh, have you ever done this? And have you ever tried that? Have you ever spent time doing this? How was, what was the success like when you did X or Y or Z? She's really doing therapy on their past experience because she's gonna find a way of saying, okay, look, I know you spent 90% of your time uh, talking to clients, but your real magic was that you were excellent at getting buy-in from the client, meaning everybody in the client, once they bought the software or bought the, the service or they, they really understood how to use it. And that's a magic skill. And how do I translate that so that account teams or in, in a startup or techno- technology company get it and go, oh, we gotta have some of that. Now, if that was a job, you would just say, she is a career counselor, she is a career strategist. But that doesn't really get to what, the, this that job sounds semi-boring. In the same way that manager of employer brand, my own particular personal daytime title, is not exciting. It's not interesting. It's just, I am the manager of the employer brand. What does that mean? Oh, well, let me tell you. Do you have an hour? (laughs) And I would imagine that many of you feel the same way. You're recruitment manager. You're recruitment leader. You are the director of talent acquisition. You're the director of recruiting. Those are boring job titles and have no, in, in no way, describe how crazy ass your life is 24-7. 
If you were self-employed, you would have to find a way to describe that. Your job matters. So let's take a room full of recruiters. I may be talking to some right now. I think that's a, a, like, a high likelihood. If I asked you what you did all day, you might say you help people find jobs, or you might say you help fill talent needs, or you might say you put butts in seats, or you might say you build relationships with people who are, and I say that's wrong. I say what you really do is that your job is to water the roots of the tree of success, of business success, meaning without you, smart people would not be hired. And without smart people, this company could not grow, could not develop new products, could not develop new strategies, could not implement those products or strategies, and thus would eventually die. Your job is to keep the company alive. Now that sounds much more interesting. That's a much more interesting job than puts butts in seats. That is a much more interesting job than director of talent acquisition. But we don't describe them that way. Now I'm not saying all of you should change all your titles to water of tree, tree of, of success because I think the days of goofy you know, uh, job titles are long gone. But in how you think about the job indicates how you describe your job to other people, which I think is indicative of how you describe openings to other people. So if you're trying to find a director of talent acquisition, do you say spends time getting yelled at by hiring managers? Spends time hearing the frustrations of recruiters? spends time trying to negotiate and manage the separate needs of all sorts of different stakeholders. Because by the way, <sighs> snoozeville, that sounds deeply unexciting. However, if you see this role as the person who is going to radically change who we are as a business and has direct access or control over the success of our business, that's a different job. Think of those jobs that, I mean, like every six to 12 months that these pop up, these weird ass jobs that you were like, that's a job? beer taster or the person who rides on Amtrak trains uh, a full time and writes about the experience. These are actual jobs. These are salaried jobs with benefits that people, that somebody does. And every year or so, some, a new one of these titles goes out there and goes viral. Like everybody goes, really? A cheese taster? That's a job? How do I get that job? And they send them to each other by saying, hey, Sue, you, you, this, this could be you. You're a great cheese taster. You should apply for this job. And it's not just beer and cheese, but there's these weird jobs. Like your job is to go from Airbnb to Airbnb and document things and tell stories and, and find out why people do it and discover interesting ideas and, and, and surface them to the world. That's a job. You might call it marketing, but marketing sounds boring. And I'm a boring marketer and I love marketing and even I think the marketer of Airbnb that as a title sounds boring if you're going to tell me you're going to spend your time discovering stories of the people who use us in ways that no one has ever discovered them before that's interesting the job itself sounds interesting now writing a job description around that it's almost impossible to write a bad job description around that the problem isn't the job description the problem is the job the problem is your job sucks so you need to rethink and recast the concept of what this opening is all about. Then you can leverage things like Textio and other tools that help make, write your job descriptions better and help you avoid pitfalls of, hey, when everybody sees this word, they all think you suck, so you don't want to use that word, but until you buy this tool, you'll never know that. Those are, those are tactical fixes. If the job itself is boring, how do you write an interesting job description? You, you can only spin it so far. Customer service job? Writing a job description for customer service is brutal. If you think the customer service job sucks, and most of you do, most of, I'm sorry, most of us do. 
The second you stop thinking about customer service as a crap job is the second you can write a better job description for it. And the second you have a job description that doesn't say, by the way, hint, hint, this is a crap job, is the second you're going to get someone who's going to destroy this job, who's going to rock this job, who is going to become the genius rock star ninja, I hate those words, whatever title you want to call it, explorer of new possibilities inside that job, the Magellan of customer service. And by the way, someone right now should be using the Magellan of customer service right now because that's like that's got to be a thing right that sounds amazing i want to read the rest of that job description and i don't want that job <laughs> that's how you get to epic job descriptions not by figuring out how to stay middle of the pack and just because those tools are out there that help you elevate above middle of the pack it only keeps you above middle of the pack for so long before everybody else figures out those tricks and suddenly the middle of the pack gets better you become an epic job description when you have epic jobs to describe that are unique to you why is this the Magellan of customer service? Why you and not Netflix? Why you and not GE? Why you and not, I don't know, uh, Intel? I don't know. Why you? That's the nature of employer brand. That is the nature of telling good marketing stories. That is the, the, the original concept of marketing is not advertising, even though we all tend to it, forget, we all tend to think of, oh, I'm a marketer. Oh, you write ads or you advertise things. No, the first job of a marketer is to pick what you bring to market. That's where the title comes from. You're figuring out, hey, it's summer. People want oranges, not apples. So I'm going to bring oranges to market. Now it helps that I have lots more oranges because it's the summer, but whatever. That's an example and I just kind of came off the top of my head. Your job is to figure out what to bring to market. Think of the same thing about jobs. What are you bringing to market? Are you bringing customer service representative number two third shift to market? Or are you bringing Magellan of customer service to market? And if you're going to say, I'm going to bring the Magellan of customer service to market, you damn well sure better back it up with a hell of a job description. But frankly, you've opened the door to the possibility. Because if you've written a killer job description for customer service rep number two third shift, no one will read it anyway. And frankly, it will be framed in customer service representative to third shift. Anything you write that's epic after that? No. Think of good movies. They start with killer opening scenes, right? I just watched uh, 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 Hateful Eight on a plane uh, a couple weeks ago. And that just that first opening scene of Snow sets the mood. It's, it, it's slow, but it also says there's tension. There's confusion. There's a story here. We're going to get to it, but it slows you down. It sets you up for what you're about to see. It's a slow movie for most of the scene, for most of the time. It's almost a three-hour movie, right? It's a slow movie, but it's tense and it's action-packed in a way that's very not actiony. It's a setting the frame for what you're about to see. You take the same um, John Wick, which is an action movie. Uh, it just starts off with explosions and bangs and, and, and motorcycle flips and all this stuff. And it says, by the way, for the next hour and a half, two hours, here we go. It sets the frame. So you can't write an epic job description with a horrible job title. You have to reinvent. We have to start from the ground floor and saying, "Look, what is this job? Why is this job? What is amazing about this job? Why would someone amazing take this job?" And then you throw in the stuff that legal says you got to have. I'm not saying get throw it away. I'm saying you need to embrace it. All right. 
that's all I had. Thanks so much for listening. If you come see me at uh, Social Recruiting Strategies in, the, in like a week. Oh, my goodness. It's a week and a half. Um, and then after that, I've got ERE and I've got RecruitCon. Come find me. Come say hello. I, I, I still am trying to think about how do I live uh, podcast at Social Recruiting. Um, we'll see how that goes. I'm see how that sets up. I don't know. Um, we'll see. Thanks so much for listening. As always, uh, f- talk to me on Twitter. Talk to me on the website. Talk to me on wherever. You know where to find me or leave reviews. Love that too. So thanks so much for listening and I will talk to you next week. Bye.